Hello, and welcome back to this brand new episode of the Silmarillion Film Project. I am your co-host, Dave Kale, and I'm excited because this episode, we are going to be talking about Haleth. Yes. And, you know, of course, so, some of the other human characters, yeah. too. And oh, also I got it. So Haleth is just like Dave's, Dave's Arathel and Glorfindel, right? <laughs> yes. That's right. That's right. Got it. I'm going to try to cram her into everything. <laughs> and make her the most important character in the film. <laughs> That's right. Of, yeah, most the most important human of all of them. That's right. Yeah, it's okay. uh, it's it is kind of too bad that we can't. I mean, she's gonna have a like comparatively short run, right? Compared, I mean, there mm-hmm. are gonna be a lot of characters that we're gonna love less than Haleth, but who are gonna hang around for longer. Oh yeah, and true. Uh, no kidding. That's true. It's kind of too True. bad. There's a lot of distasteful characters just lingering uh, in the summer. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. Well, you, you probably noticed some, some, uh, some of them into the end of the third age, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so actually, probably... I wasn't thinking of Sauron. I was thinking of Saruman, to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> right. Arguably, there's a, there's a great, there's a great Tolkien debate to how to like, to, to like put on Twitter and just get the, like the Twitter people arguing, who's more likable, Saruman or Sauron? Right, right. Yeah, there you go. I think uh, I think that would that'd be really worthwhile internet rabbit hole. If Sauron and Saruman <laughs> were both drowning, which one would you save? Right, right. Please, let's for sure post that later. Or if Sauron and Sar- there's I've seen this a version of this. If Sauron and Saruman were dying, what would you have for lunch? I mean, we're drowning. What would you have for lunch? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Uh, right. So you probably noticed some other voices that are uh, right. on here with oh, We're doing introductions. Right. I'd forgotten. Maybe I'll tell you who they are. Uh, they're my co-hosts. Joining me, as always, Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor, and Trish Lambert, the Tolkien maven. Woohoo! Excellent. Excellent. And Dave Kale, the hipster dad. Yeah. Nice. Aren't you guys turned dad? You guys must be so happy to be named. <laughs> yes. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah, I feel fulfilled now. Uh, and then I can That's now right. proceed uh, with things. Uh, so, yeah. So today is session number five of season five as we continue our pre-production, our working through the storylines. We've got some st- a lot of stuff that we need to hammer out uh, so that we can put it into shape and figure out where to place it uh, in the different episodes. Uh, so today we're going to start by talking about the storylines of men. Uh, you know, we, so we need to talk about elf storylines and human storylines. And I decided at the end of last time that we should talk about the human ones first. So yes, uh, we are going to be talking about Holith and stuff today. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So, um, but before we do that, quick announcements. Uh, first, just a reminder all of these are a reminder, nothing brand new, but just reminders. Uh, first of all, that we have new dates for Mythmoot 7, August 6th through 9th, down in Leesburg, Virginia. We are still planning on an actual, genuine gathering in Virginia uh, in August. Of course, we'll see what happens. Who knows, of course. No one ever knows what the future is going to look like. Uh, never has that felt more true than recently, but... Um, uh, but this is still the plan uh, to get together on the weekend, the first, uh, uh, well, not the first weekend, that weekend in August, the 6th through the 9th. Um, and uh, I, I'm uh, uh, so looking forward to getting back to a moot again. I'm going through serious moot withdrawal. Uh, that is my, uh, the, the, you know, one of my uh, biggest problems. My life hasn't changed in many ways. You know, I 
work at home in my basement all the time anyway. So, um, you know, on a day-to-day basis, my life is pretty similar to what it always uh, has been. But I miss the moots. So that's uh, that's definitely something I'm looking forward to. Um, second announcement is: don't forget that registration is open for Signum Path, our new uh, our new pro- our new program for foundational skills uh, for uh, really anyone uh, in the uh, corporate world who wants to you know improve your your communication skills, your emotional intelligence skills, um, any of those kinds of things. Go to path.signumuniversity.org uh, and check out our brand new program, which is launching this month. Um, Still time to sign up for our June classes, and we're also taking registrations for July and August as well. So definitely wanted to uh, commend those to you. And then, of course, uh, we also have our online teaching member, uh, mentorship program um, for uh, to support and help teachers who are uh, working on transitioning to online teaching, as so many are. And, of course, um, as we go into the summer and a lot of people thinking about what's the fall going to look like, are we even going to be able to do classes as we've been doing classes in brick-and-mortar brick and institutions uh, in the fall? Uh, so, you know, now's the time in the summertime when you really want to do some professional development and really think through that. And of course, at Signum, we've been uh, doing interactive synchronous teaching online for 10 years and would love to be able to help if we can help folks work through um, that process of conversion. I actually just this morning uh, was uh, doing a session uh, on this with uh, some faculty from down in North Carolina. Um, uh, some university faculty, and that was a lot of fun. We were talking through some of the challenges they had and suddenly shifting over their classes to online and some of the things that they learned from that and are thinking about uh, moving forward. And we talked about some uh, some ways in which they can adapt and some new things they can try uh, as they continue this new adventure of teaching online. So um, that's um, another thing that we have out there that we, we really want to make available for folks uh, who would like to talk through some of these things. All right. Speaking of talking through things, let us talk through the story lies of men. So here are some things, overview uh, kind of material uh, in thinking about these storylines. We had said before that we want to avoid um, just telling a story that is this group of people moved from point A to point B. Um, I know that those things are referred to in the text, but I've said before I don't... I don't find that particularly interesting, right? We need a story that has some kind of, well, story behind it. You know, a mere migration for the sake of cataloging who's living where uh, is not something that I think is going to really move our story forward very much. So um, I want to make sure that we are really thinking through these stories. So, I, you know, I don't want to just, I don't want to be complete for the sake of being complete in that way. Um, we also don't want to introduce all the characters named by Tolkien who lived in this time frame. Um, I don't, I think that we want to focus on the, again, we want to focus on story. We are telling stories here. We're not just trying to catalog stuff. Um, and so that means, and I, the sort of challenge that I put out there at the end of last time is I want to revise the genealogies, right? I want to decide on a shape of these first few generations of men, a shape that is going to fit within the narrative shape of our season here, right? We've got from the arrival of men in Beleriand until the Dagor Bragalach, right? And in that time and within the shape 
of the season and the story that we're trying to tell. I want to be able to have us unfold these stories, and it's going to mean some changing, right? It's going to mean some uh, some trimming and some collapsing, um, uh, shifting around within the genealogies, and I think we need to be ready to do that if we're going to be able to tell uh, a really good story. Um, Yes, as Nick says, we want to make sure that the audience can suss out why the characters on screen matter in the larger narrative. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is something that really needs to make intuitive sense uh, for the sake of the audience. Remember, we're doing an adaptation, right? This is not just about retelling Tolkien's Silmarillion as it stands, right? We already have the Silmarillion. That's, we, don't need, we don't need to do it again. It, that's been done. Right. What we're doing is adapting it, which means first and foremost, and this is my number one rule of adaptation. Right. The number one rule of adaptation is that the story you're telling needs to be a good story. Right. That's it. That matters more than anything else, even more than questions of faithfulness to the original. Faithfulness to the original is very important in an adaptation, but it is not more important than telling a good story yourself. That is absolutely the first thing that must happen. And so for me, that is the, the uh, I am I am absolutely I am ready to change the text if by changing the text um, we can make our story into a better, more interesting and more compelling story. Now, granted that, of course, that the challenge then becomes, and to me, I find it a very fun challenge, right? Given some of the changes that we need to make in order to make our story work within the shape that we're giving it, within the the sort of parameters that we've chosen, given that fact, how can we make those changes in such a way as to preserve the heart of the story and the spirit of the story as much as possible, Tolkien's story as much as possible, right? And that, to me, is where the fun really is. Um, so anyway, okay. So yeah, so that's what we're going to be doing. So all right, so a goal. The story of the three of each of the three houses should be embodied in one to three named characters whose personal stories illustrate the overall story of their group. I think that this is definitely how we're going to be able to make... So th- there are two different things here that I would emphasize uh, within that statement, actually. One is that I think it's important. There should be a story reason for each of the three houses. I think that we have, because we do have the three houses of the Adine, and I'd like to keep the three houses of the Adine, um, we, I don't see any reason not to keep the three houses of the Adine because it gives us a story purpose, right? And the story purpose of the three separate houses is it gives us the opportunity to illustrate three different kinds of stories, three different elements of the human drama, the human elf drama, the relationship between humans and what's going on. Um, Three different opportunities to illustrate what it means to be human and how that's different from being an elf, right? Um, So I do want to make sure that we're not just duplicating, that the three stories are in their way different. So that's one element of that statement. Um, The second element of that statement is that I do think that the most powerful and effective way for us to do that is going to be to embody the story of each of those three houses within a small number of characters. Okay. Um, And uh, if adding other characters is going to enrich that story in a concrete way. And you can show me the, the, the ways in which it is going to enrich that story. Um, then I'm, I'm game. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally willing to listen to that. Um, 
but uh, but that just that does seem to me the most sensible way to go about it. Okay, so here are the three things that we have been kind of um, playing with before and that we've sort of discussed. Potential storylines, the threads of the three different houses. So the House of Beor are the vassals of the elves and look on them in awe and love. This doesn't always turn out to be for the best, right? So we have the House of Beor as those who really just sort of embrace the role of being the servants of the elves, right? Um, the House of Hador, we cannot make up our minds whether we wish to be formally aligned with the elves or independent. And the House of Haleth, we make our own choices and remain independent. The two extremes there are, in my mind, the clearest, right? The House of Beor, who's, they're all in, right? They're all in, um, in their love and devotion to the elves. And the House of Haleth, who is all out, Right. And wanting to just to be left on their own and chooses to remain independent, even though their goals align with the goals of their elvish neighbors. And even they seem to see that potentially. Right. Um, and yet they are not at all interested in becoming anybody's servants. But let's think about the House of Hador a little bit more. Um, that middle ground, because... I don't want to define here. Here's my problem. Here's, here's the weakness that I'm feeling in my own view of this so far is I feel like I'm, I'm viewing the house of Hador as a purely negative thing. That is like the house of Bayor and the house of Haleth have positive identities, the desire for independence, the desire for like loyalty and service, right? The house of Hador I'm defining negatively. Well, they're neither that nor that, right? They're kind of in the middle. That's not a great story, right? I mean, we can work with it, sort of, but I would rather identify what is the positive quality, right? Um, exactly, Marie. Dithering isn't really, you know, an identity, right? Exactly. It's certainly not an identity that you want. And honestly, thinking long term, like thinking of the long term destiny of the House of Hador, that's not the destiny. That's not the identity we wanted them to start with, I wouldn't think, right? Um, you know, we don't want... Um, we don't want Hurin and Turin to be from the House of Ditherers only, right? Um, so, yeah, yeah. So, Nick, I agree. Where we're going to end up, clearly, is that the, that the House of Hador is going to be a staunch ally of the Noldor. They are going to have the most significant military impact, right, of any of these three houses, really. Um so it seems to me then that thinking about the the House of Hador alongside the other two, they're more similar to the Beor perspective than to the Haleth perspective. They're not. They're certainly not remaining aloof, right? They are definitely going to align themselves um, to ally themselves with the elves. So how do we characterize the difference? Uh, Marie suggests allies, not vassals, um, viewing themselves as equal to the elves in the way that the house of Beor does not. Um, yeah. Nick was just thinking of, of that same kind of thing. So how would we want to, so the story there would be the story of, on the one hand, Beor's devotion, right? Um, the, the sort of more almost like, you know, servant like even sort of student like attitude, right? I just want to be near and to learn from you and to, uh, and to, you know, to, to, to serve you, 
uh, a kind of hero worship thing going on, right, with Beor himself and with the house of Beor as a whole, um, following his his leadership. Whereas Hador has more of this, the house of Hador has more of the spirit of the house of Haleth in the sense like more of the uh, more of the spunk of the house of Haleth, right? But instead of simply saying, we don't want anything to do with you, right? Instead, they are, they do, they're perfectly willing to have something to do with them, right? Um, but they won't serve them. They will only, you know, sort of join them. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, Nick says they're won over. The question is how. That is a really interesting way to think about it. If they're, if they're resistant at first, or so Nick, I think what you're implying there is that essentially they start off with a more Halethian viewpoint, right? Desiring to be independent, um, not wanting to serve, right? Um, and then at the same time, but but they're gonna, but that will change, right? Something will uh, will bring them to the point where they are willing to ally themselves, or at least, or at least serve. I have an idea. Um, I don't know if this helps or not, but I got to thinking about how these three houses in some ways parallel the Vanyar, the Noldor and the Teleri. Right. Right. In terms of their relationships with the others, the other for the Vanyar being the Valar, right? The Noldor didn't start off being, you know, can't make up our own minds, but they certainly did, you know, well, they started out being support, 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 and then cut and run. And then the Teleri kind of are like, no, no, we're going to do our yeah. own thing here. Yeah. yeah. yeah and I don't know, you know, I don't think island. there's a way. Yeah. I don't think we'd want to be really overt about that, but there might be some, you know, some kind of tie in. I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Um, and yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah right. Like... Maurice's hot or equals Noldor. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, except in this way, it would be, that would be an, an appealing, almost anti-parallel with the Noldor, right? Whereas the, where the Noldor yeah, start off, be. you know, in devotion like unto, not identical to necessarily, but they and the Vanyar were, they were the ones like that, right? They were together right. with right. The, the, you know, the Valar the whole time. And then they fall out, right? Um, Which doesn't mean we couldn't have the House of Hadar kind of start down that path. I mean, of course, we're not going to have both the Thanor causing doom or anything like that, but there still could be kind of a pulling back of some sort. I don't right. know. You know, that's right. a possibility. Right. We don't want to get too obvious about it. You know, no. But... Yeah. You know, we don't have to get too obvious about it. But like I said, I, I find it kind of interesting that the the shift. I mean, again, looking like doing a, a really crude characterization of the super big picture, right? The, the Noldor do shift, but their shift is away from devotion towards independence, where towards what we're suggesting yeah. is that the, the oh, Hador they go the other way? would go the other way. Right. So in that, the other way. that's okay. what I mean by saying it's kind of an anti oh, okay. I got it. I got and the irony, of course, is that it's the Noldor that they're coming in to service with right. at the end, right? That they're out. Al- you know, the thing that's kind of elegant about this is we're, to, we're back to the music of the Ainur, right? And, and the fact that music often has themes that repeat in different right. ways, right. music, right? So that's kind of an interesting way of looking at this, I suppose. Although we, too bad we can't just call it out in the thing. Say, hey, music of the Ainur, look at the men, yay! <laughs> Same right. thing. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Even though, yeah, I mean, that definitely happens. As Nick was pointing out, we get the, you know, even 
in the characterization of the hobbits, we have, you know, the three different kinds of hobbit, you know, uh, who begin to look parallel again, not again directly, but, you know, the phallohides, the, you know, the stores. And I mean, it's, 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 you know, the Harfoots and the stores. Uh, That's true. That's true. Of the, you know, these repeated motifs in the music, as you say. um, And Marie points out, Turin as Feanor's spiritual heir can very much work. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, Yeah. Preparing ourselves to kind of, in some ways anyway, to kind of build up the the parallel there uh, certainly, certainly could work. I think. Um, Stephen points out that Sauron could have some, some impact on the House of Hador in terms um, of their relationship yes, with the elves. You yes, know? exactly. Well, fortunately, we're, we'll, we're going to talk about the Amlach story, so we'll, we'll be able to get there a little bit, I think, um, uh, when we talk about that. Because, yeah, I mean, that's, we certainly, one of the things we definitely agreed on is we certainly want to keep in the fake Amlach story. Um, right. Because that one is gives us lots. Of, that's that's a really that, that'll be a really fun story to do on screen. So um, that certainly gives us opportunity to have this kind of, you know, Sauronic manipulation of uh, of of the men. And, and it would be in the House of Hador uh, there um, rather than anywhere else. So that that definitely that definitely works for me. OK, so that's the so the central drama of the House of Hador then. Um, we we use the other two to kind of establish these two different um, extremes, right, of human reaction um, to the elves, and then we use the House of Hador. They're the they're the dynamic one, right? They're the ones that they're the ones that change. Whereas the House of Hador, neither of those two really alter um, uh, primarily. Though I guess we will have some. With Andreth as the heir of the House of Beor, essentially, or again, in the line of the House of Beor, um, we're certainly going to have one of the members of the House of Beor sort of questioning things with the elves, right? I get kind of salty about the whole elf service situation. Um, uh, so that certainly presents some interesting opportunities there, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Um so finally, our last goal here is we need to tr- is is prudently trimming those family trees, as I've mentioned. Um, we don't want to uh, obscure the relationships of our hero characters this season. We want to make sure that things are clear, um, and we don't want to have to introduce a lot of characters that we don't uh, need. You know that aren't going to really be part of the story, um, but of course we 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 want to make sure that it still works. Obviously, time wise, um, so we have to be mindful of that. Um, but uh, but again, the focus needs to be as always on the story that we're telling. So let's think about family trees. So we had a couple different family trees. Now I recognize I have this slide up. I recognize that these are kind of impossible to read. Uh, so we'll kind of talk through these a little bit. Um, and I'm going to admit, I'm going to need, um, I'm going to need some help from folks, Nick, especially with you. I'm afraid the, some of the resolution is not so good. Some of the text I can't even read, no matter how much I magnify it. Um, apart from the fact that it's fairly small. So Nick, I think you did the one on the bottom, right? Um, the pink and blue one. Um, so since I already alluded to that, let's let's think through this suggestion here. So um, 
your suggestion, Nick, is that we have the first generation be Hador's father, right? We have an unnamed father of Hador, and then we have Beor, uh, and then we have, okay, now that middle one is the one I can't see, and then we have Haldad, um, and then we've got uh, uh, some, some, does that say duplicate of the father of Hador over there on the other side? Um, okay, let's see. Let me see if I can let me see if I can get a another version of this, one that I can blow up in the you know nicest possible way. Let's see. Okay. Wait, no, that didn't work. Didn't work. Okay. Aha. Okay, oh, you're emailing it to me. Yeah, let's do that. That'd be handy. Okay, anyway, we'll see if we can sort it. Um, let me Let me work through the, and Nick, you can answer some of the questions that I have here. Um, okay, I want to start with Beor here. So going through the Beor family tree that you're listing here, you've got Beor and then Baran and then Bari here with, of course, Baron uh, coming from there. Um, so we've got, and you've got Hador as the father of uh, Emeldir, Bari here's wife. So you have Hador being... Um, Hador being Baron's grandfather. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, all right. So you had, and, and so Baron, you has, is the guy who is at the Amlach event. You're saying Nick. Okay. Okay. All right. And then, so where's, uh, okay. All right. Hang on. So Haldad is over here. Where did Haleth go? So you have, you don't have Haleth on here, but that's just because she's kind of uh, yeah right. Haldad is okay, right? Yeah. So there's no Andreth. That's also what I was noticing, Stephen. That's also what I was noticing. Right. She has no descendants. That's why she's not on here. That's that's what I was guessing, Nick. Okay. So you've got who are. Oh, wait. Hurin, right? No? No. No. Hang on. Where'd Hurin go? I see Hur. Should Hurin be over here as well? Oh, this is Hur's screen. Yeah, okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right, let's see. Let me see if I can... Aha! All right. Hang on. Here's the PDF. Let me see if I can expand this here. Oh, go! This is so much better. Okay, let's uh, let's see what we can do here. Let's um, let's zoom in. Oh yes. Okay. Look at that. Now we're on fire here. Okay. We can read it. Yeah. Woohoo. 
Oh my All goodness! Right. Would you oh just look at the text? Okay. Although I feel like <laughs> I feel like um, squinting at near and let illegible, complicated family trees is like I think that's like part of the experience. Right? It's really it is a little <laughs> bit more authentic uh, to the to the Silmarillion experience. I agree. Um, this is going to be part of the coffee table book, right? Exactly. This is going to be part of the here. coffee table okay. book. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay, great. Right. I got it. Nick says the, the dots are to branches that don't end in Elrond and Elros. Because <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's, of course, where ultimately we're headed down to at the end of the day, down here. Got it. Right. Okay. All right. Um, so focusing on, so I'm not going to worry so much about the sub, like I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of stop horizontally or vertically. I'm going to stop here, right? At bar here. Whoa, dude. Whoa. Motion sickness here. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to stop it at like uh, Galdor and Bari here, uh, because this is where we're going to be, um, at the. Dagor Bragalach. Yeah. Right. Makes sense. Um, yeah. We're not going to really get down into Hurin and, uh, and Huor and the rest of them so much uh, in this season. Um, okay. Right. Yeah. Nick says this is just a way to get more people visible. Okay. So, Nick, but here's cannot, my question. You can only cram so much family tree in one season. Right. Exactly. Where is. Um, where's Andreth? We don't have Andreth on here and we need her. Um, even if it's just it's just going to be a little branch with nothing else attached to it, right? Right, right. She's not going to have descendants. I mean, she's not going to be obviously. She's not part of uh, Elrond's family tree. Right. Um, so you had her as Boromir's daughter. No, no, we can't do that. Nope. she's too young. Then we can't have her be Baron's generation. We need her earlier. If we're going to have her, as we were suggesting uh, last time, um, yeah, I know she's the daughter of Boromir in the book. That's not my question. <laughs> my question is, where would we put her in this genealogy? Because we had talked about having Andreth. I still re- I, and Andreth is the one that I would love to have be the voice of the human perspective throughout both halves of this season, right? I don't want to have a whole lot of Andreth free episodes in this entire season. Honestly, um, I want her to be one of the dominant voices. Um, uh, you know, we stand back so and Nick say, saying, "Who's the protagonist yeah. of this season?" Andreth is one of my protagonists of this right. season. Um, so he says, "Daughter of Beor or Baran." I guess we would say Baran. Is that how we pronounce it? B A R A N. Yeah, Baran. Now, Baran. see that Baran. I can get Baran. along with. Yeah, if she were Bari now, she if especially if she were older than Bari here, right? Right, that would work. Um, but I, I would say that the the, the generation of Bari here and Boromir here would have to be to me. That's the latest she could be. Um, yeah, that would be the latest that she can be because, even and she could then, be quite a bit older if we did that. You know, then. In, uh, right. I mean, obviously, in, having the generations flatly horizontal with each other doesn't take into account, you know, difference of age within generations and stuff. Um, but um, uh, now, Maria is questioning whether we actually need Beor, Baron Boromir. Yes, I am too. Uh, do we need both Baron and Boromir in there? Boromir. I mean, apart from the fact that. He's got an awesome name that we want to use. 
But first of all, I would <laughs> caution, we only want to use that name if we're going to do something with it, right? I mean, you can't have somebody who's got a fellowship, yeah. a member of the Fellowship of the Ring named after him and not have and people thinking nothing. about Boromir, right? Right, yeah. I mean, right. They're yeah. going to be thinking about Boromir of Gondor every single time our Boromir is on stage. So we either need to cut him or we need to do something. Or with there that. needs to be a story. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, my first impulse is to cut him, um, but that might be cowardly. Um, <laughs> it might Let's be... not let that stop us. I know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so... So, I mean, of the two, I guess, as so long as we can do it properly, I would vote for, because uh, uh, nobody's going to miss Baron. I mean, seriously, who cares about Baron? Is there a big Baron lobby, lobby out there? I doubt it. Um, if we put Boromir there as the son of Beor, or yeah, the son of Beor instead. So we go Beor, Boromir, Barahir. Now that's Which a... Which actually, that that's a meaty makes genealogy, a lot of right? sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Exactly, Marie. Baron is really just kind of a placeholder. Now, so is Boromir. Boromir, this Boromir, accomplishes pretty, I mean, doesn't really do anything. I mean, there's no real story attached to him um, uh, other than moving around. So, but again, we can give him one, but we'd have to decide what it is that we'd give him. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um we could um we could have him die. Nick suggests that he dies at the Dagor Bragalak. Agreed. We can we can we can do that. Again, I'm not saying there's no potential for a story. Um nor am I saying we need to collapse it even further. I would be okay having that many generations, right? Beor, Boromir, Barahir, Baron. That seems to me okay, right. especially if and if if Andreth would have to be um, hey, look, we could still make her the daughter of Boromir if we bumped Boromir up the chain a little bit. Um, we could have Beor, Boromir, and then Barahir and Andreth would have to be siblings, right? But I would want Andreth to be the older sibling, and if she were, like, the significantly right. older sibling... And maybe by quite a bit, in yeah. fact. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. No, Nick, I know Boromir isn't Barahir's father on my screen. I'm bumping Baron here and I'm moving In our Boromir minds, up. he is. We've moved. Yeah, we've changed. The... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Keep exactly. up. Um, <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, exactly. So, no, yeah, sorry, 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 Nick. I'm not actually using your genealogy. I'm like, you know, mashing it up as I go along. That's kind of what I'm doing. But I'm inspired, inspired by, by your, your genealogy. Yes, exactly. Yeah, to, to, that's it. Your, yeah. That's it. Yeah. So, so I'm thinking Beor, Boromir, Andreth and Barahir, and then Baron under there. Right? Which is kind of cool because that makes Andreth Baron's aunt also, which is kind of interesting. You know, you've kind of got this heroic right. family here. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um, all right. So... Well, Nick, we'll figure out the Amlock event when we get there. Um, uh, okay. Now, Halith and Haldad and Haldar and the rest of them. Okay. All right. Now, first of all, Halith is... To even put Halith 
on the same generational level as Bayor seems to me misleading, right? Because Bayor is decades older than Haleth, right? Bayor is kind of a generation above in the sense that he's he's already. I mean, I think we 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 should certainly make Bayor at least middle aged when he meets Finrod at the beginning, right? Um, and whereas Haleth is like a teenager, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so exactly. So if she's down here, Haldad himself can still be significantly younger than Beor, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Remember, these are humans. We don't have to have that, you know, there's not all that much, that much time uh, between, uh, between generations here. So, okay. All right. Hang on here. Right. She's the three dots under Haldad, right? Yeah, this is Haleth over here, right? Yeah, no, I understand. I understand. Okay. So, yeah. Right. So we've got Beor as clearly the eldest. Beor and Haldad, Haleth's father, um, would be kind of the same generation, but Beor is older. And we want Hador to be younger. Okay. We want him to be younger because he's, according, Nick, according to your genealogy here, we have him as the father of Emildir, Barahir's wife. Okay, let me go back over here to where Hador comes back in again. Okay. Uh, right, and also Galdor. Okay, so you've got Hador bearing Galdor and Emildir. Right. I'm tracking with you. I'm tracking with you. So. Who are the parents of. So where's. Where do you put Amlach in this? Right, you have. Emildir and Galdor are siblings. Took me a while to see that, Nick, because they're on opposite sides of the page, but I did just put that together. Um, okay, you have Amlach as, Hal- as Hador's brother. Okay. Ah, uh, so he's these three dots. <laughs> there. Like, we got some pretty, pretty major characters represented as dots uh, on this. Yeah, that's good. Um, okay. Right, because there's no relation to Elrond. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, Stephen, I know. I know Hador in the book is much further down the pike. Um, I, I know that. Um, that's one of the changes that I am interested to make. Um, because, again, apart from the Amlach incident, we get almost no story for anybody in that house until we get to Hador. I mean, it ain't called the house of Hador for nothing afterwards, right? Nobody calls it the house of Marach, right? Or Malach or any of those people whom nobody remembers and nobody cares about because they don't do anything other than be the people who happen to be alive when they cross over the mountains, right? Um, so uh, so that I, that's why my vote 
from the beginning was, again, since we're going to have to kind of collapse anyway, uh, I would like to collapse in the direction of boosting hot or up. Um, and so my suggestion before was that it should be something like Haleth, Beor, and Hador as the three primaries uh, of their houses operating pretty much contemporaneously with each other. Beor would be old, of course, uh, while that was happening. Um, uh, I don't know about that, Stephen. I'm going to need a lot of convincing that we need 100 years to compensate for Myglin's timeline. I'm pretty sure that we were saying we could do Myglin in a good deal less time than that. Remember, we just need Myglin to grow up to be a, a, a moody teenager. Um, and elves would be moody teenagers for a couple decades right? Uh, from between the ages of like 50, 30 to 50. Uh, so um, uh, I'm talking about the Elven life, life cycle, Stephen. Um, he doesn't have to be 100 years old when he goes to Gondolin by any means. Um, he just has to be uh, 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 sort of moody, right? Um, we only need him to have 50 at the utmost. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I agree, Nick. When we first meet Bayor, he does need to be older. Um, because if he's going to be the first man, the LC die of old age, um, he, uh, yeah, he, he's definitely going to have to be advanced, uh, when we get there. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah, no, Stephen, it does not say that it takes elves a hundred years to grow. It can take some elves up to a hundred years to grow if they choose. But he says that the standard age, uh, of coming of age is 50. Um, most elves normally come to, to uh, come, uh, grow up at, at, in, in 50 years. Um, uh, and I actually think it would be really interesting thinking, I mean, I was so full disclosure. I was just doing a class on the laws and customs of the Eldar last night, like 24 hours ago this time. I was talking about that very passage in the laws and customs of the Eldar. And uh, and I will say the thing that is most dominant throughout that whole section is Tolkien's repeated reminders uh, that there is more coherence between the Fea and the Hroa, the spirit and the body of elves. Um than there is of humans. So it's not a question of it takes them a minimum of this amount of time to grow up. Um, it depends on their wills. That's why some elves do take a hundred years to grow up because that's how their wills are set and their bodies follow. So I would be kind of interested, actually, if we have, we know that Myglen is weird, right? Deviant, even. Um, there is some twist in him as the narrator of the Silmarillion tells us, right? In also that same passage, or very near that same passage about elves growing up in the laws and customs of the Eldar, uh, Tolkien also talks about how very uh, seldom uh, are elves guilty uh, of... Uh, of of lust, of sexual lust, of like inappropriate sexual desire. Um, and it's pretty clear that Myglin is one of the big footnotes to that whole seldom thing, right? Um, so he's, we know that in that way, Myglin is exceptional. So Nick, exactly. I think it would be interesting if Myglin is in a, in a hurry to grow up, if he in fact achieves full growth by the age of like 30 or 35, um, because he is, uh, to have it be a reflection of his spirit. There's something odd about him. And one of the first signs of his oddity uh, is that he attains fullness of growth much faster than his mother certainly 
um, certainly expects. So yeah, I, I I think that that would work really really well actually uh, with the story of elvish growth as we see it. A um, hundred is given as an unusual maximum, not as a minimum in any way. Um, so anyway, so we've got some we 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 definitely have human generation amounts of time here uh, to be working with. Um, we we are not restricted to overmuch uh, by the uh, uh, by the Miglin timeline. Um, um, is the Dagor Bragalot going to pushed up, be pushed up? It might be. Uh, we'll see. I mean, we're going to have to put all this stuff together. Remember, the first goal and our primary goal for discussing tonight is to work out what are the stories of the humans, right? First, let's work out their stories, and then we'll figure out how we can deal with the other obstacles and how we can make these other things fit. If we've got multiple stories, right, and we need to figure out how they can come together, right, and how we can make it all fit within the structure and within the time frame that we have for the season, that's part of the fun challenge. But that's a later challenge, right? Before we can even have the raw materials to do that, we need to decide what the stories are here, right? And that is our primary goal here. Okay, so... Hador. So we have unnamed. So Nick, tell me more about the unnamed parents of Hador here. Um, do you see our Hador story focus? If, if Amlach is Hador's brother, older brother, I'm assuming. Uh, Nick is what you're thinking in this in this projection here. Um, uh so he would be more of the leader figure and Hador would be following him. And then what? At a later time, Hador would be... Because we decided we wanted to keep Amlach going into the service of Mithros, right? So what does Hador do? Does, does, he, um, does Amlach just leave and Hador stays with the rest of the people and then Hador is the one who has the change of heart, the change of mind? Um, how's that going to work? How's that going to work? Um, okay. So Nick, you're thinking of having them separate as two houses, basically. Amlach and his, and some of his people staying with Mithros and then Hador and his people going over to Hithlam. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I'm not 100% sold on on that um, because, yeah, Stephen, exactly as you say, that gives us four houses, right? Uh, and again, I want I would want to make sure that we have clear, uh, uh, clear, clear stories worked out there. Let's think about the Bayor line. Well, actually, hang on a second. Let me let me give some equal time for a second uh, to the other one, which I can at least. I can read a little bit more clearly here to to the green one, right? This is another family tree suggestion. So here we have, uh, well, this one is much more complicated. Oh yeah, we've got folks like Bereg involved here, whom I don't see any use for. Okay, all right. Yeah, there's a. This one is a lot less ruthless, um, in its cutting. Um. Let's see. Are the ones circled in orange 
the ones that we would tell stories of? Hmm. Looking like that. It is. What's Berig's role then? And why does Barn exist? And why does why is Malach still the head of the family if we're not going to really involve him in a story, which is, again, my primary reason for being cheerfully prepared to do away, do away with Malach. Um, okay, right. The orange boxes, the name characters, right? That's what I thought. Um, also, okay. just tossing this out there. How come, how come there's no orange box around, you know, Baron? Oh, well, he's later. He's, 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 uh, like, uh, sir, not playing a major role in season five. He's so next season. He's right? so he's next so season. Next. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Same. Visually a little disconcerting. See him. Already. I understand. I understand. Not trying to argue that, uh, Baron is not important. Um, okay. So you were thinking that Berig is the one who takes men back away over the mountains. Okay. 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 I can see good reasons for it, but I want somebody to convince me that we want that. What what's the point of that story? What is the how does that how does that story serve? Remember, and 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 I know this can seem jarring, right? Um, but I'm pushing on this, and I want to keep pushing on this pretty hard, right? It is not enough for me that it's in the book, right? Yeah, it's in the book. But why should we keep it in our story? Because we're telling our story, right? What role does it play in our story? Tell me why it's important in our story. Emphasizing the choice of men. Okay, Stephen, good. I like that. I like that. Um, um, good shows the brittleness of the relationship that Finrod has built. Okay. Okay. It suggests that the Valinor impulse is the wrong move for a lot of people, Nick says. Okay. Good. Good. Um, good. Marie says the council is about whether or not to join the elves and is also is about whether or not Morgoth is a real threat. Bereg is a Beorian who does not agree with Beor. Uh, so showing the division in the house, and ultimately, I can certainly see, to me, the first thing that I think of is the most, but just, again, sort of responding to, to several of the things that you guys are saying here, um, if a lot of the house of Be- if Beor is the one that Finrod is basically building his own hopes on, and we're not, I know we're not doing Finrod's story tonight, um, but just as you know, I, I, I've said before. I, I, to me, Finrod and Andreth are the two protagonists of this entire season, um, which I think is awesome. I mean, if there's like a whole Athrobeth subtext of all of season five, that is uh, so completely fine by me. Um, but I, so yeah, so having basically be the defection of a large chunk of the people of Beor. Um, be essentially a kind of a wake-up call for Finrod, right? A message to Finrod that this is not working out. We were talking about Finrod having a, um, 
crisis, right? Uh, a crisis for uh, his own conception of the, or or even assumption, perhaps, right, of the resistance to change. Um, yeah. By the way, I don't know if anybody's people may have mentioned this in the comments, but are we going to have either, you know, one or other of the houses or at least some of the people in some of the houses be thinking Morgoth and Sauron aren't such bad dudes. They're not really bad guys. Well, that's or are the... these the families who actually did wake up to the fact that they're evil and they came, they came here because of that. That's what the, the council's kind of going to be about. Right. Uh, is that, is that, sort of discussion, but basically, do we believe the elves? Are we willing to buy into the whole elvish view of this, you know, of matters here? Right. Um, because they will have come from a tradition, won't they? Of from the time Sauron spent, I think it was Sauron. We sent, didn't no, we? we sent Morgoth. Morgoth. No, Morgoth went. Morgoth yeah. went. Yeah. So it won't be these people. It will have been their forebears, but they'll be having that tradition of, this isn't such a bad guy. He did all these great things for us. There may be legends about him, right? There's certainly the legends. I mean, there is. Okay. So we know very little about the backstory here and it's interesting. I mean, I actually, hang on. Let's figure this out. These people, what is their story? I mean, all of these people, right? The humans that have migrated into this part of the continent, um, are they exactly, Marie? What I'm trying to figure out is, is this what we're getting? Are we going to have... Right. That's what I'm wondering, too. ...them as yeah. the parallel of the faithful Numenorians, right? So that, like, this, the, those who were worshippers of Morgoth, right, have remained in the East. Um, right. But some right. fled because they rejected it. And it's their descendants... Right. That we're getting here, and that's the bad. Even if the people, right. if these folks, right, even if Bayor doesn't have any memory, right, like obviously it's not personal memory, but like there aren't even clear stories about it. Nothing but vague rumors and and legends and things that they don't have all the details on. Right. Um, but we should know what the story is here. So do we want right. the men? You know these these first groups of the Adine as they as they migrate into Beleriand. Do we want them to be a descendants of those who rejected Morgoth and therefore left, and that's why they're wandering. Or do we want them to be le like less like everybody? All of the men just kind of just sort of spread out, so it's not like they were fleeing anything in particular exactly ancestrally. Um, uh, so maybe they do, Trish. In that case, they could have still some ancient right. myths of you know, Morgoth worship in the past that they themselves don't fully understand. Right. Um, I, what exactly. I, I'm liking the, I'm liking the parallel to the Numenorians. Again, we've got the music motif, right? There's a motif here mm -hmm. in the music mm -hmm. that, you know, this is, this, these are the descendants of people who fled because from Morgoth, because they didn't buy into his right shtick. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so then, so if that's true, and I like that idea too. I mean, I like the idea of the recurring motif and having the Adine be the ones who, to, to give them, as it were, an ancestral leg up on being good guys, right? Like they're the descendants of people who already made the right call back in the day, right? 
kind of like the faithful Numenorians. So I like that. I like that parallel. Um, how much do they retain from that? How much do they know? How many legends do they have? Um, well, and I would say, too, whatever legends they do have would be derived like we would know this, you know, what actually happened, but their legends would be like different. You know what I mean? They would have they would have morphed over this over the generations into something that maybe that we can kind of recognize, but go, whoa, that's, you know, wow. Talk about a game of telephone. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? I certainly don't think what we should have is them showing up in Beleriand and being like, ah, Morgoth over there. That's the guy. Right. Yeah. Right. No, we know all about him from our ancient histories. Right. Like we've we're in fact, hi, we're here as like already <clears throat> pre-enlisted in, you know, the as it were in the war. I mean, it can't be that. Right. I, I mean, I don't think. Well, the other thing, you know, like Marie points out, I'm not sure how quickly they would connect the legends to Morgoth guy and Angband. Plus, Morgoth may have had a different name. You know, I mean, it, it wouldn't have been Morgoth probably yeah. when he was out there, right? So they wouldn't necessarily realize it was the same guy. Marie also made a really good point of saying that, okay, they, they fled Morgoth, but they're not necessarily now ready to have a permanent war with him. You know what I mean? It's like, they're not, it's like, yeah, we fled from him. We'd like to keep fleeing from him. <laughs> right. We don't Somebody necessarily want to enter me... That may be the contention in yeah. the council. About, yeah. You know, somebody remind me in the chronology, the rough chronology, at least of our story, not the Silmarillion of our story. How much time has passed between now, between the arrival of the men in Beleriand and when Morgoth was out on his field trip? Um, how much time has passed about? A couple hundred years. That was my sense too, Marie. Okay, a couple hundred years. I think that's so we're right. looking two, two, between two and three hundred years, somewhere like that. Okay. That is plenty of time, especially for an illiterate culture, right? For them to not have clear records of what happened, right? I mean, we're talking many generations have happened since they began wandering. So even to say that they fled from Morgoth is potentially misleading in two ways. A, right. Trish, as you said, it's not like they would be calling him Morgoth, right? Um, right. Uh, they would, there was some, you know, they know that their forefathers fled from peril, you know, in the West or in the East, right? There was something to be afraid of over there. And that's why they left. Um, uh, and they hear that there's this bad guy up in the North. Um, what they don't reason... make the connection necessarily. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. What reason would yeah. they have and to they, make that connection? And their history has been an oral history, and we know how oral histories can morph also, right? So, right. right. But there could be kind of this shadowy figure from the legend, the great pretender or something like that. You know, there, there may be a name for whatever this entity was that they knew their ancestor fled from. Right. You know, and maybe... You know, it, it would be interesting that they would maybe use the legends as sort of the metaphors for their actions today, not realizing that they're talking about the same guy. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know? Well, and and this would also because it would ultimately come down to the question. Right. I mean, there would be some who would say when they hear the story from the Eldar. Right. When, you know, when Finrod sits Beor down oh, and right. tells him yes, what happens. Right. right. Now, Beor can go back to everybody and be like, hey, guys, like. 
this is the true story now. Like we now we know the real story that the guy, the enemy in the north, is the enemy right. that like we, he's the guy, one who is the enemy of our family who 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 perpetrated all of this evil back in our ancient forefathers' time. Anyhow, so you I was know, about to say, do we do we think the Eldar upon hearing these stories, they're like. Oh, you know who that is. Yeah, I mean, Finrod has got to be. Oh man, that that has Morgoth's fingerprints all over it, right? right. Yeah, I can't even see Bayor asking Finrod the same question you just asked. So, how many how many years ago was this? Right. You know, Finrod says, "Oh, 200, 250 years." And Bayor's like, "Oh, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I remember something about an eclipse, but I'm you know I was a little fuzzy about that." Yeah, um, and of course the humans wouldn't, I think, or maybe you know. Or would that, because see, in an oral culture, that seems to me like exactly the kind of story that would pass down. The story of the day of the eclipse. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Finrod would remember it and quite well, right? Oh, yeah, I remember that eclipse. That was an awkward day. Like it was yesterday. Right, exactly. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, so they would they would retain a story about the eclipse that Beor would have. Now, keep in mind, all the stuff that I'm talking about right now, some small percentage, which could theoretically even be zero, actually enters into the dialogue of the show, right? I'm not I'm not I'm not suggesting we're going to unfold all of this stuff. I'm just trying to figure out the backstory so that we know what it is, right? Cuz it's going to influence how we characterize these peoples and you know, the way that things work. So, okay. They're going to know that they were fleeing from the shadow. Are they going to be in their own legends? Do we think they see themselves as heroes or as refugees? That is, what is the narrative of their people? The long narrative of their people in their minds. Are they, the people who have been outcast from their home by the shadow and have been wandering to find their new home? Is that their story? Or is their story in their own mind like we are the faithful, you know, who uh, um, rejected the shadow and uh, is that their name? So are they the heroes who rejected the shadow or are they the refugees who have been ousted by the shadow and have been running uh, I'm agreeing with Rhiannon. and I'm thinking I'm thinking refugees. refugees, though that may not have been how it started. You know, the first few generations of this line may have thought of themselves as heroes. But how many generations are we down the road now for heaven's sake? I would think by this time it would be like refugees, right? right. I mean it'd be you know, we're gonna see this in the dwarves like the the you know, airborne dwarves someday, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. being refugees. Mm-hmm. Um but I would bet at this point in time these men that we are meeting now, refugees. Right, right. And yes, Rihanna, and you're right, there should be, there, there will be rumors of the light in the West, right? Um, I, I wonder, I wonder if we could work in, and we'll see when we get to actual episodes, right? Um, I would love to work in at least one storytelling moment, maybe more than one storytelling moment, like among the humans, right? To hear them tell one of their legends. Maybe Andreth is going to be, you know, maybe we have Andreth hearing a story or Oyan and have Andreth telling a story later on, right? As she is going to become one of the repositories of the 
stories of her people, right? Um, I think it's a great idea. And, you know, Zachary actually went the other direction, which is, say, started out as refugees, then morphed into that wandering band seeking the light. So that's that is a, another yeah, way to look that, to do it. There is this story of hope that they have, that there is a light in the West. <clears throat> and that would be like the story. They don't know anything about it. Right. Um, but this is why they have been moving into the West. This is why they undertook the, the crossing of the mountains. Kind of a big deal. Remember the crossing of the Misty Mountains. Really big deal. Um, the crossing of the Blue Mountains. Also a big deal. Um, yeah. I love yeah. it. There's two things, you know, Nick says, if only there was a conversation where such a thing could come out between Andreth and Finrod. Hmm. Right. But Marie says, actually, this is, and I was thinking this too, Adonel tells young Andreth and then aged Andreth tells a young Baron this story that you're talking about. Yes. Yes. Um. Okay. Uh, having Andreth tell, telling a story to Baron, that's um, that's a money shot right there. I like that a lot. <laughs> it is. Now, he's a child when the Dagor Bragalak happens. I was just wondering about... Well, that's in the book. So, I mean, we can... Well, he'd be old I mean, enough to, to hear stories, certainly. I he mean, would be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, he's... I was actually thinking that it could be a really interesting moment, too, of her telling him the story, you know, yeah. as the, no, as the, by the time we get to the Dagger Bragalak, he's, he's, he's fully grown by the Dagger. Oh, Bragalak. is he? Oh, yeah. okay. I was yeah. thinking he was young. Okay. Yeah. No, no. I mean, we, he will, will have opportunities for him to appear young. I mean, like child Baron will be able to right, get some right, screen right. time. For some reason, I was thinking on. he was a kid during, at the Dagger Bragalak, but he's not, he's full grown. Okay. Right. Cause after the Dagger Bragalak, he's going to be one of the, that's right. The, you know, yeah, the, uh, and the outlaws and the all outlaws, that stuff. exactly, yeah. exactly. Okay. Um, so, okay, yes. Okay, so wait, so tell me about Adonel, folks. Who's Adonel going to be in our genea in our new, more efficient genealogy? If we, is she going to be Bayor's daughter andreth's aunt she doesn't have to be in the line i guess she could just be a random wise woman um you want her to be in the house of hador we could put her in but where um yeah uh see again i don't i don't I'm I'm not a huge fan of the green one, mostly because it has all of the extra stuff. I mean, it's nice to have the original genealogy to refer to. Um, but, um, yeah. Uh, okay, Marie and Rihanna are both suggesting cousin, maybe sister of Amlach. Okay. Okay. I can see that. And she's meant to marry into the house of Beor. Where? Boromir? So she's Andreth's mom? We're talking? I mean, that could work. Uh, 
Yeah, Michael. Does that work? That works, doesn't that it? That we—he'd prefer someone not in the main genealogical lines to still be important. Um, I mean, I can get behind that. I don't think Adonel, as wise woman and mentor of, like, if she is a wise woman and mentor of uh, Endreth, that's enough for me, right? I mean, I'm I'm okay with that. I don't need her to. Uh, I don't need to know who her. We family don't need is. to know her genealogy. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if we want to, we can. I mean, we can do that. Um, but uh... well, you know, one of the things with the genealogy, as far as keeping track of who's related to who, we want to keep it relatively simple for the viewers. Well, right? that's I it. Mean, we don't really you know. want people to feel like they need flowcharts, right? And we're and <laughs> I get, we've got a and we're going to have a, a just a slew of new characters here, right? So keeping the and and that's one of the things with the three houses right with the three houses and the generations are not all the same ages and so you know who is related to whom again is going to be challenging right if we're not careful um i think we can do it but um uh yeah yeah um Right. Oh, yeah. No, Rhiannon, I'm not even thinking for us about the the viewers seeing the genealogy. I'm just thinking no, about, no, no, again, no. what we present on screen, like the people that we ask them to keep track of in the sense of just to to to, to connect, to remember the connections of. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So I mean, Game of Thrones was pretty heavy in that direction, too, wasn't it? I mean, it, you had it a lot was. Of yeah. Characters that had to be kept track of. It was. Viewers can do it, but, you know, we want to not overload it. <laughs> And by the way, that's one of the re I mean, one of the things that the Game of Thrones TV show was most clever about, I felt I really admired. Um, they really made excellent visual usage of the different houses, right? The great houses in Westeros, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. associating people with symbols, not only mm -hmm. visually, like in their clothing and stuff so that. You, you know, like, oh, yeah, he's one of the wolf guys. Okay, right. So like, right. You know, even if you remembered nothing else other than that he's one of the wolf guys, you can sort out the rest of it, right? Um, right. Uh, and not only that, but Dave, of course, even like the opening credits were brilliant in this way, right? I mean, the way that the opening credits served as a kind of uh, recap and summary of like, remember all of the locations and all of the families and even like the way that they updated over time, right. When like the castle is captured by somebody else. And uh, not only do the opening credits show the new flags flying in that place, but you see the smoke rising from the place that was, that just got sacked. Right. Oh yeah. I remember that happened. That's that. Oh, so that, right. That's the castle that got sacked in the previous episode. Um, really, really admired how they did that. Um, uh, but again, my point is simply, we don't have that. As Nick says, we don't have surnames, right? Um, uh, so without surnames, we, uh, uh, we're at a disadvantage there. Um, the reason I'm bringing up Game of Thrones is that we don't want to have to do that, right? We don't want to have to resort to that kind of thing. I, they were wise to do it because when you present these kind of complicated interrelationships and, uh, and different families and, and that many characters, um, you, they were very smart in that show to give people a sensible handle on things. Right. Um, so that would be an argument for, keeping the character simple. Now, again, I don't know. I don't think she has to be family. Um, if we can kind of peg her into a clear role, she is Andreth's mentor, right? And that's all we see. Like, we don't meet her. 
until she is the aged mentor of of Andreth, right? We don't need to see her growing up and becoming the mentor of Andreth. She just she comes in fully formed as the you know uh, middle aged to geriatric uh, mentor figure of Andreth, um, uh, and that's her job from the beginning. So we're fine. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so now I agree, Rihanna, and we can still introduce some visual cues. That is, like, we can have some different styles of dress and different color themes and things like that with different houses. Like, there's no reason that we can't have there be some visual, visually distinctive markings, you know, that do differentiate at a glance, the House of Beor from the House of Hador, for instance. Um, how fancy are they going to be? Are, how fancy are they? They're not going to be very fancy, right? I mean, they're basically not still... Not necessarily, though degree of fancy can be one of them all by itself, right? Ah, true. I mean, you can yep. tell Haleth and her people the because... Gnoll, right, the Noldor with the jewels and stuff, yes, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so that, yeah, yeah that I think is, is something that I think that we can... Um, uh, we can show the distinctions among, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, right, so Nick, uh, Nick is thinking expecting the audience to pick up on those details is probably too much. Possibly, but I don't think it would be too much to have them associate... I mean, Haleth and her people are going to be rough, right? I mean, they're going to be backwoodsman that's what right? i was thinking yeah lots of browns and greens and you know rough cut you know yeah, rough cut unpolished, and unfinished furs. stuff right i yeah. mean they are going yeah. to be rugged folk whereas Beor, once Beor's people are brought in with finrod they're going to be like you know they're going to be tricked out by the noldor right noldor light exactly exactly so i definitely think um uh that that you know, that's definitely that. That's a kind of visual distinction that we can certainly make, so that you'll always be able to tell. Um, but at the same time, <clears throat> not having the num the number of characters as Game of Thrones does was one of my goals in cutting down the characters in the first place, right? So it shouldn't be all that that uh, that difficult to keep track of. Well, you okay. can also visually show that that shift in in the house of Hador too, right? They start out rough cut ish and right. end up more fancy ish. Right. Yeah. I mean, by the time we get to Hurin, um, they should be, I mean, Hurin should be armored like an elf prince almost. Right. 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 I mean, he should fit right in, uh, in the, you know, in the, 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 the army of Fingon there. Um, which again certainly wouldn't be the case with you know like Beor in the beginning or Hador at the beginning necessarily. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Rhiannon says that the giving of the dragon helm can be part of this. Yeah, I like that. That oh, is of yeah, course, yeah. A, an important Absolutely. external there that we're going to be that That's we're going right. to be utilizing. Okay, well let's let's move on from the family trees and start talking about stories because I want to make sure if we don't talk about Haleth, Dave's going to uh, riot. So let's talk about Haleth. That's true. And anyway, Haleth is a great place to start because her story is, of all of the stories, the most self-contained anyway, right? So let's kind of build Haleth's story 
uh, and it provides us a, an interesting kind of baseline, right? Okay, so Haleth just wants to find a place that she can call her, like a safe place where she and her people, that she and her people can call their own and be finally left alone by everybody else. That's their primary thing, right? Um, the desire of the Haladin to um, uh, establish their own kingdom and not be bossed around by anybody. Okay, so here are suggestions about the Haladin. Uh, the Haladin can first be seen from the Green Elves' perspective when they move into Beleriand. Uh, no named characters are introduced and they're evicted from Assyriand. Uh, Haleth, her twin brother Haldar, and their father Haldad are all introduced. They have some resentment towards elves after being forced out of Assyriand and are not super pleased to be living in the plains of Thargelion. Then the orcs attack. Haleth is victorious and turns down Carinthir's offer based on her natural suspicion of elves and also because she doesn't want to live there. She sets out to find her people a new home like Osirian, beautiful forest they can defend and call their own. Okay. All right. Let's start here. I... I don't... I don't love the idea of the people of Haleth being in conflict with the elves of Osiriant. Trying to figure out why I don't love it, specifically what it is that I don't love about it. Okay, there are two things that I don't love about it. One is that I don't like the idea of having unnamed characters being involved. Otherwise, again, why should our viewers care? There's a bunch of random people who don't have names and you don't know who they are or why they're important, who are being chased off by elves. Um, uh, so I'm not a big fan of that. Um, if we're going to have the people, I, I mean, if we're going to start, I, I, I want to start with Haldad. Um, but, but here's the other thing that I don't really like about it. I acknowledge that conflict with the elves of Osirian would give the Haladin a reason from the beginning to have antith antipathy towards elves, or at least distrust of elves. But I think that's what I don't like about it, actually. Um, now, keep in mind, first of all, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm not rejecting the unfriendship of the green elves, right? I'm just saying I don't like it for Haleth, is what I'm saying. I want to keep that, but I don't want to attach it to the Haladin. And this is why I, 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 I don't want to attach it to the Haladin. Um, I want her resistance to Karanthir to have nothing to do with the fact that she's developed a kind of prejudice against elves because of how they were treated by the elves of Osirian, Right? I want her to reject Carinthir on his own ground, right? On her own grounds, basically, right? I want her resistance to living under the shelter of Carinthir's protection to have nothing to do with the fact that she kind of generally distrusts elves. I want it to have only to do with the fact that she doesn't want to live under the, shed, under the shelter of anybody, right? She rejects living, uh, serving Carinthir not because he's an elf, but because she'd be serving him. Right. Um, I'm I'm. 
Yeah. I mean, again, like I'm again, I'm not fighting the conflict between the between men and the elves of Assyrian. I, I just. I want to preserve like the purity of the Holith story, um, not 100% make it. A, agree. You, you you agree with that, Dan? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a. <clears throat> I think one of the one of my favorite parts of of her character is just this. Like, there's not like that. You know, there's not like a complicated story or tragedy behind like you know, well, this bad thing happened to her, and so she never trusts the elves again. It's just like it's just innate in her character is just like n- no, I don't like she's just that fiercely independent. I think that was one of the one of the things that's neatest about her. So yeah, so yeah, yeah, I think I I think I agree with you. Just pure independence. I mean, I would quite like Holith. So I don't even know that she needs to be discontented living in Thargelion necessarily, right? Um, especially since her people are a small people. What if we, I mean, in my mind, you know, the curtain rises on the story of the Haladin with Haldar and his two kids, right, living on this happy farmstead that they've just constructed themselves with their own hands on this land, which is fertile land, right? Excellent for farming. And they've got, you know, there's a community of others around them. And they believe that they're going to settle down here and um, um, that they're going to settle down here and they're, they're, this, is, they're, they're, this is their land, right? And they're carving out their own existence here and then they get attacked by orcs, right? Um, and they find that there is danger there. And then what's more, uh, they've got these elvish neighbors. They've got Karnthir their elvish neighbor. Now, Brian asks a very sensible question. Uh, does it then look like unreasonable and foolish pride um, uh, on her part if we don't give her refusal more reason? Two things I'd say to that, Brian. One, I would quite like to flirt with the boundaries of unreasonable and foolish pride with Haleth, right? Haleth is stubborn. Stubborn in ways which are not always necessarily going to be well-advised. Right. I think that there will be lots of times when people could say to Haleth, um, you know, maybe your reaction to this, maybe you're being stubborn. Um, maybe you're being a little proud and maybe you should humble yourself a bit. But you try telling Haleth that. Right? <laughs> I mean, she's, you know, so I'm willing to push the boundaries there. But here's the other thing. Here's my other response, Brian. This is not Finrod she's running away from. This is not even Mithros she's running away from. Not running away from. Uh, leaving, right? Uh, it's Karinthir, right? And I think that one of the elements, that we, which is not explicit in the text, by the way, but one of the things that I think that we can add, as we, as we always are doing, are kind of coming in more close uh, to the psychology of the characters than we usually get in the Silmarillion, one of the things that I think that we can add to this is that Haleth smells Karnthir coming a mile away, right? I mean, Karnthir is not going to be a good neighbor. Mr. I made myself rich by putting up a toll booth on the dwarf road, right? Do we really think that he's going to be an excellent, benevolent, and friendly neighbor who's not going to make any demands? Who's not ever going to be a jerk to the humans living on his boundaries? Oh, I would think he would consider himself so far above them that he would want to, you know, he would want to have them as his vassals, if not his serfs. 
<laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I mean, and I'm not saying that that's his, you know, his. he doesn't have to be, you know, we don't have to make him, uh, you know, make his attention tensions towards them of, you know, the explicitly mustache twirling variety. Right. But uh, but still, but 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 exactly, Trish, I mean, he is going to she's going to tell like, you know what? No way. Like, I'm getting a bad odor off this guy. I don't want right. to be his neighbor. Right. I don't trust him that she I, I want her not to if she does, if she doesn't trust Carnethier and she doesn't, I want her to not trust Carnethier, not because he's an elf and she distrusts elves in general. Right. Due to some kind of racial prejudice in their experience in the past. No, I want her to distrust him because a she doesn't trust anybody because <laughs> just because she's that independent and B because he's Carnethier and she's actually correct. She uses good judgment there. Um you know, you could set her up pretty easily early on while, you know, she's still on the farm with her father and brother with a conversation between her brother and, and her where maybe he's teasing her about, oh, yeah, I know what's going to happen. You'll grow, you know, you'll end up with some man. You'll have babies. And she'll say something like, I will belong to no man right. ever. Right. You know, I mean, and that that's pretty much all you need to do. And that pretty much sets the tone. I mean, you get a sense of her right then. And then yes. that's pretty much what she acts out right. from that point. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm imagining, you know, a, uh, uh, you know, somebody delivering a, a, a line, you know, in the direction of, you know, Hollis, stop beating up your brother again. Um, uh, <laughs> stop you know. sitting on your brother. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, that's, it's, it's, yeah, I mean that that's that's who she is. But so yeah, exactly. Uh, Marie, exactly as Marie is saying, of course, in the book, Carinthia mostly ignores them and assumes that they're useless. Right? Then, uh, you know, he sees how well they fight off the orcs, and he's impressed. Right? Um, but his, she is not going to accept the way that he is impressed with them. It is still going to be obvious from what he says to them. That he considers, you know, that he's basically at the best, at the best, he's trying to use them, right? Um, at the worst, he's being patronizing, you know, like, oh, maybe you're less useless than I thought, right? Um, she's not going <laughs> to, she's not going to take well to that. Um, uh, but, and certainly she is not going to take well to Carinthier being all like, Oh, well, so little lady, you're pretty good at fighting orcs. I could have some use for gonna, you after all. Like He's going to no. elf explain. He'll elf elf explain, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> there's just there's no way. I like it. That she, so, you like it elf explaining. Yeah, yeah, elf explaining, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um Yeah, so th- th- I think that's why so do you you guys uh so uh to the other attendees who are talking about the and and the discussion board folks, do you see what I mean about the Osirian folks? Now you guys are very sensibly asking me if it's not the Haladim, then whom would be the ones who would have conflict with the elves of Osirian? Um, I'm thinking Hadors folks. Hadors, you know, Amlak, Hador. Those are the people that I think would have the conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, since we're since we're making them the the complicated confused tribe anyway yes uh mm-hmm. this, this is just throwing more fuel on that fire exactly mm-hmm. they're going to be the ones who are and so it's going to be yet another reason for them to be saying 
what are we even doing here? Do we want to be here? Do we trust the elves? If we can work the right. friendship of the uh, green elves of Osirian into that story, um, uh, then, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's fine. Um, uh, yeah, exactly, Marie. I want the interaction between Karnthir and Haleth to be based on those individuals' personalities. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. Good. Good. Um, okay. Anyway, but we'll talk about that at a later time. That's not, that's not for now, but that's, so again, I'm not trying to bump that story entirely. I'm not, I mean, goodness knows I don't want to get rid of the unfriendship of the, uh, of the elves of Osirian, even if only because we have to actually use the word unfriends in the dialogue at some point like that, you know, the word unfriendship must occur. Like that's an absolute given. Um, so even if only for that reason, that plot line has to exist. Um, uh, let's see. Marie says, what do I think about the dream of a forest home for the Haladin? They, I don't know. They might prefer that. I mean, maybe. <laughs> Sorry, just, I'm laughing at myself because I realized I was about to start unfolding a little plot line here for Haleth. And then I'm laughing at myself because I realized where I was borrowing the plot line. I know I was borrowing it from somewhere, but I, I didn't see immediately where I was borrowing it from. And where I was borrowing it from is Watership Down. Uh, that... <laughs> <laughs> that that I was kind of also wanting to turn Haleth into Fiverr just a little bit, right? Oh, well, <laughs> Hazel really more. Um, but the idea of like, you know, like, the, you know, this, no, this place should not be our home. We are too vulnerable here. Like, no, I have a vision of a home for us, you know, which will be secure and safe. And, uh, and I shall lead you across the many dangers past the point where you think it's sensible for us to stop uh, until we get to the place, which will be, the, you know, the, the homeland of our destiny, which fulfills this. That's so that's kind of what I'm, so not necessarily to make them therefore woodland people from the beginning, people who are, can they make them farmers, make them, you know, able to sort of, you know, they're, they're settling down and they're doing fine in Thargalian and they think this is going to be their land. We can even have a nice scene at the, you know, in, in, in the opening sequence, right, with Haldar and before the orcs attack, you know, where, you know, poor, poor Haldad is like, you know, my children, someday this farm shall be yours, right? And we shall establish right. our lands as far as the, you know, and then the fires start burning. But, um, uh, but anyway, so, it's after the orcs attack, right? When Haleth is, she's going to have the new vision for their people, right? And that's why the move, again, like not, I don't want people just having geographical shifts for the sake of geographical shifts, right? There has to be the story behind that. And Haleth's story is, I want to find a place where we are safe. We are not exposed. We are, and we are, we are neither exposed to the danger of wandering orcs, nor, at least yet, um, nor are we going to be indebted to anybody, right? To live under yeah. the shadow of no one, not to live under the shadow of the fear of the orcs, not to live under the shadow of the protection of the Eldar, right? Um, and so for her to then say, you know what? Forget farming, right? I'm 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 done with farming. Let us find a forest stronghold that we can make into our kingdom. Let us find a forest that like no one else will dare to enter, uh, and that we can 
you know, sort of rule on our own. Um, Brian says, to what extent do the Holodin share Holith's desires and vision? Uh, and to what extent do they just follow her because she is Holith? Is there any challenge to her vision? Great questions. To what extent do they follow her just because she is Holith? A large extent. Um, She's pretty charismatic, I betcha. Absolutely she is. Uh, charismatic and forceful. Is there any challenge to her vision? Yeah, we're told that there's grumbling among the Haladin. They do it, right? They they keep moving when she tells them to keep moving. Um, but it requires all of her will to keep them going. So there will be some resistance, which means we're going to need another uh, person. Oh, hang on. Before we get to Amalek. Sorry. Apologies. Actually, let me go back to Nick's uh, sheet here. Whoop. Okay. Um, hang on, Nick. I'm just looking here. Where do we get? Where's there's Haldad? Okay. Um, Hareth. We have one other named member of the Haladin here, and that's Hareth, her uh, her niece, right? Haldar's daughter, who is gonna get married to Galdor down the road, according to Nick's genealogy here. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah, 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 I know, Nick condensed it. All right, no, I, I get it, I get it. No, that's why I'm working with Nick's genealogy here, because that's, that's good. Um, yeah, anyway, sure. We know that she's not she's not going to have any kids, right? She's not going to be uh, moving the genealogy forward um, in as much as we care about the genealogy, which we do kind of care about the genealogy. Um, but uh, that is to say, she's always going to have an heir who is not her own child, right? So there is therefore going to be a necessity to have a minor character who is going to be her heir, essentially, right? Um, whether it be her, you know, her niece or nephew, uh, or who, or maybe even, um, may, yeah. Anyway, however we want to make it work genealogically to fit it, fit it in with the other stories. I would think that that could be a person, uh, Brian, from whom uh, pushback could come against Haleth. Um but so that person, she would have to convince and the rest of the people she can bully Ah, not bully, but compel with the force of her will. Right. With the with the strength of her personality. Um, bully. I like yeah. it. Well, you know, I mean, again, I flirting with the boundaries of bullying. Right? I mean, Haleth is a strong character and it's one of the things that I find really appealing about her character. She's an edgy character, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, don't think... Uh, yeah. I, I think, I mean, the, like, at the level of detail that we get uh, in the published Silmarillion, we don't, you know, we don't really get to build a rapport with her or anything. Yeah. But I think in the, in, in the, in like, you know, an on-screen adaptation, I, I don't think it's necessary that she be likable. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. No, she can be, I mean, uh, she, she should be ultimately admirable, but I agree. Yeah. She doesn't have to be somebody you'd want to have a beer with, you know? No. 
and it would be totally okay for her just to be somebody that you're like, I would be kind of scared of her. (laughs) I think that's fine. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's fine. Like, I would not want to cross this woman. Right. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, she's yeah, I I, I agree. She doesn't have to be in that way. Um, Admirable in every possible way. Right. Like a perfect role model. She doesn't have to be a perfect role model, Um, uh, but just an interesting and admirable in many ways, right? And um, memorable character, uh, and I think that's kind of that's kind of cool. You're right, Marie. We do want the audience to cheer her on. We don't want her just to be like a jerk to people, right? That would be bad. Um, I, yeah, but but anyway, no, I. But, agree. I, 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 but agree. I think you you like. I don't think people. I don't think people have to be like personable or cheerful or like, as you say, admirable in every way to be a protagonist that people will root right. on. Right. Like we just want people to like, want people to to root for her uh, and and to like to be invested in like her succeeding. But I think you can achieve that and still have her be like you know um, imposing and and a little and a, even a little off putting. Right. Right. And, you know, one of the I mean, we might as well make explicit one of the like little motifs that has been implicit in this, the whole characterization of Howlett's character is the gender dimension. Right. I mean, there is an obvious parallel between the way that she is as a human leader is trying to establish an independent place for humans in this world of elves a parallel between that and the way that she is establishing herself as an authoritative woman in the midst of a generally male-dominated society, right? Holith and her Amazonian guards, right? Um, and she is going to be not, like, diplomacy isn't her main thing, right? She is going to be kind of in your face on both of those levels, right? She's not afraid that she might possibly offend Caranthier, right? Um, she's just going to be like, no, thank you. Um, she's not going to be afraid she's going to offend Thingol, right? Nor is she going to have any truck with any of the males in her own, you know, among the Holodine who might object to, you know, following the will of a woman or being bullied about by a woman at the end of a day, at the end of the day, right? Um, so... I don't know. I mean, I think that uh, would be it makes Holith an interesting and fun character and certainly somewhere between interesting and unique in Tolkien's world. Um, uh, We just don't get this kind of female character very often. Uh, And I think she'd be a lot of fun. I think you're right. I I think I think um I think you're 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 spot on with that. Like that is what's appealing about her is she's just there's like no other character like her, especially among the female characters in Tolkien. Like she's just so completely different from from Eowyn, from Arwen, uh from Luthien. Like you just don't see any other character like and she and I don't think she's a she's not a very common um archetype in 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 literature and fiction, period. Mm-hmm. Just like Athena, you know, in the classical 
Greek myths. Yeah. You know, she's that she's that archetype. Except all the rough edges, you know? Like they right. none of the right. none of the smoothness, you know, none of the sophistication. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, she's yeah, got the wisdom part not so yeah. maybe not so much. <laughs> right. But exactly. definitely the war, you know, toe to toe with the men, takes no guff, you know. That kind yeah. of thing. I was thinking of, you know, how few like Boudicca, you know, I was thinking in real life, who do we have? You know, right. we have a few of those kinds of, you know, women leaders. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she just she leads by force of not by right. You know, it's not about like, you know, I am the daughter of the no king, voting. So therefore, <laughs> like, wait, sorry, what was right. that? No voting. No voting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. I don't care if you didn't vote for Holith, right? You know, I can like, you know, it's not a question of voting her in. It's the question of avoiding a beating, right? Like, and and believing in her, like, and and you know, being swept away by her charisma, definitely, definitely. Um, uh, yeah. No, I mean, I, 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 that is, and she, and at the end of the day, she's also like the farm girl, you know. I mean, she's not. She's a peasant. She's not a lord at all. You know, there's nothing aristocratic about Haleth or her leadership with her people, right? Um, she follows her people because she's competent and she has a vision and she has force of will. And every, you know, her people recognize that. They accept that. They love her for that. And they're a little bit afraid of her, <laughs> right? And nobody wants to be the one to step up and say, no, we think that Haleth, you're wrong and we shouldn't do this. Um, now, does she actually have a vision? In other words, you know, how we've like, you know, Turgon and his dream and all that stuff. I mean, this, is there something like that for her or is it just simply more pragmatic? I think it's pragmatic. I think it's yeah, okay. I think it's just I don't think that she has an actual. So in that way, she's not like Fiverr, I suppose uh, she doesn't have an actual vision. Uh, <laughs> she's just uh, she's just she has a vision in a more like entrepreneurial sense. Right. She's uh, right. Um, right. Uh, she is much more of the uh, much less of the archetype of the prophetic visionary and more of the archetype of like the self-made man, you know? Um, right. You know, she's she, the, the vision that she has is the one of, is her own vision. Yes. Not one given exactly. to her. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, and she is going to set out, she is going to, uh, uh, find it, you know? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Brian, exactly. She's not the traditional beautiful woman who also happens to be good in battle. Like Eowyn is right. Eowyn is still also, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, and I think, um, uh, Haleth should probably not be very physically attractive. Um, it's certain, she certainly doesn't need to be. I'm not saying she should definitely be ugly, but I don't think, I certainly do not think she needs to be. In fact, I would, I would be a little bit hesitant to make Haleth too attractive, honestly. Um, uh, because again, it shouldn't be her appeal as a leader should have nothing to do with um, any of that kind of any that kind of traditional concept of feminine power. You know, here's a small question for you: Is she tall? Yes, I think right. so. Right, so she like. She can look the men in the eye, basically. Or I think so. I, you know, taller. we could go against type there and have her be small and spunky, but 
that might be, I think, maybe a step too far. You know, um, I don't think she necessarily. I don't think she necessarily needs to be like Brienne of Tarth to go back to Game of Thrones again. Like, I don't think she needs to be <laughs> like taller than most men. You know, right? Um, but um, but have stature. She has. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Um, um, exactly, Marie. Not not Brienne, but not Arya either. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Somewhere. So, I mean, I, certainly she is going to be the warrior woman first and foremost. Um, yeah. Now, as Stephen Point says, uh, aren't the men of Brethil short? Yeah. They're also not descended from Haleth. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, like, Haldar could have gotten the short genes uh, pretty easily. In fact, again, I think having Haldar, her brother, uh, be a be shrimp shorter, compared right? to her yeah. is fine. Like, uh, yeah. And it's his line that, that, that continues and everyone else is descended from. Right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Um yeah, Rhiannon says all the tall women join Howlett's Amazon band. Exactly, Rhiannon, and therefore don't reproduce, and therefore the the Holodine in one or two generations are all pretty are all pretty short, right? Yeah, absolutely. You just you just remove the 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 tall genes uh, from the pool uh, by uh, through celibacy, essentially, right? Um, yep, yep, love it. Okay, so. Oh, and I, I wanted to acknowledge, I think it was uh, Brian who was suggesting before, yeah, that uh, Karinthir, that w- when Karinthir has his conversation with her, there should be a subtle, like not only a kind of I'm looking down at you because you're human, um, but also a, a, at least a subtle sexism in his approach to her as well, which, she, you know, she's going to have the antenna to detect that, right, uh, and not be patronized to um, so, um, anyway, okay, so she leaves for both reasons, both because of the orcs and because of Carinthia, right? So they head from there, they head directly to the west and run into Doriath. And that is not go into Doriath, but run into Doriath like you run into a wall, Right. Um, and Doriath is shut to them. What's so, Dave? What's Halleth's reaction when she comes to the borders of Doriath, uh, this promising-looking forest that she sees in the distance, and finds that the boundaries are shut to her by these other elves? How how, how would we have Halleth reacting to that? Mm. Grim determination. She would certainly be determined. I think she She'd would be pissed. <laughs> she would be. Um, would she have any? One of the interesting things, though, about Holith as well. One possible reaction that is like in a, you know, in a different world, one could imagine a version of the story in which Holith responds by saying, "Okay." Um, I'll give you two choices. You can either let us live on the on the edges of this forest by your own free will, or we can pry it out of your cold, dead fingers, right? I mean, she could respond by saying, no, we're, we're going to live here, right? And if you don't like it, we're going to have words, right? Um, she doesn't do that. 
she goes away. So how do we contextualize that? How do we, you know, it could just be that she doesn't think she can win that fight. Um, and maybe she's talked out of attacking. But I, I think it's more interesting if we have her choose not to. I think this this gives us a kind of a more complicated we it it gives us an opportunity to kind of complicate both her personality and like her personal code if you see what I mean. I also yeah, I I also think I I I, I can't even really articulate why I feel this way, but I feel like once again that that's in character for her. Mm-hmm. Like she's not she's not seeking conflict. Right. Right. And she's and and I don't think she's the kind to go and try and take something from somebody else. Right. She's the kind to she's the kind to keep going. She's like they arrive at this place, they discover someone's here that's shut against them. Okay, fine, we'll go over that way now. Right. Like, and she and would... I would think one of the driving things for her is she, you know, she, though she's a warrior woman, she's still a woman. So there's a caregiver aspect to this. Yeah. yeah. She doesn't want to spill her people's blood. She wants to protect right. her people, right? So she doesn't want to risk. A, a confront, you know, a potential battle type confrontation, right? Yeah. Or anyone else's blood. She's right, or anybody else's blood. Yeah, yeah. She, I would think you know, her maternal instinct as it is will be yeah. for her people. Yeah, yeah. We're we're not going to be depicting Halith as like going around like seated she's on a mound of the Xena skulls like, of her enemies. You know, she's not going to be going la 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 like like Xena. She right. won't be doing no. that. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> She's not going to be Xena or Conan, frankly, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, like that's not. But I do think her. this drive that she'll have, I, you know, I don't want to make it totally overt, but I could totally see that the maternal instinct. She still has a maternal instinct, but it's been turned toward her people, and that's she's going to provide all for of her, her decisions. Yeah. are yeah. that's kind of the ground right. base ground of her decision making is what's good for my people. How can I protect them? How can I care for them? steward them, that kind of thing. But she is not going to forget that Thingol turned her away. Yeah. Right. Um, that her people were denied what could have right. been a home in a stretch of woods that these elves do not appear to be using. Right? She didn't see any houses. Right? They're not using it at all. It's just right. there. Right? But they won't let her in. And there is the <laughs> issue, Rihanna, as you point out, of Melian's magic as well. Um uh, either Haleth herself or the rest of her people could be a little bit creeped out um, by the girdle of Melian yeah, as well and point. want nothing to do with it. Um, Very understandable. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and I, I think, um, I think if you want, if you want to have a little bit of conflict or drama here, I think what it should, the drama would come in in the form of like some of her people or, or, or one of her, one of her lieutenants or somebody like basically her people getting like tired of this and being like, can't we just right. stop? Can we either, either it could be that person uh, again, right? The person yeah. that was pushing back. Right. Way right. Back right. Right. Yeah. It would be, it would be either and maybe both. Um, you know, can we stop and ask for help? And right. the Holith is definitely a, I don't ask for directions. <laughs> I don't ask for directions. <laughs> yeah. Holith does not ask for directions. But also like there might also be someone who, who might, think like you know hey uh, this looks like a pretty good place we should we should see if we can take it uh and Haleth would also also put it like like put a swift end to that as well right i could easily imagine one of her feistier like amazonian lieutenants right being mm-hmm. like we could take those chumps right let's just take it for ourselves and her being like you know nah no it's not it's not worth it we don't want to. besides which 
we wouldn't be safe here, right? Because then we would be yeah. making these elves our enemies and they'd be coming right. after us and we'd be looking over our shoulders the whole time, you know? And that's the best argument right there, too. I mean, right. you yep. know. Yeah. Uh, right. Exactly. Yeah, so, that, yeah, I think that's true. And I, I, I think that that's also would be in character for her, which is like, like she wouldn't be the kind to give a moralizing speech about how, how it wouldn't be right to try and take the elves land. It would be more, it'd be more. We don't want to make enemies. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to make enemies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, so they go, so she leads them to the north, and, you know, they come to Nandungortheb, and now is when a bunch of people really want to turn back, because this looks like bad news. Like, clearly, <laughs> this is not the path to the home that, you know, we have in Haleth. This is where Haleth lays it on the line, right? And Haleth is like, follow me, and, you know... I will lead us to a home that we can find. Like we, you know, we're be. She would have to make a speech, right? We'd have to get a Haleth speech here about uh, how that you know they've been they've been denied everywhere they've wanted to live, right? The orcs denied them. Um, Carinthir tried to take them into, but he didn't call it bondage, but it was a kind of bondage, right? Uh, the elves here in the forest, these other elves have denied them the opportunity to live there either. Um, they have no other option. They have to move forward. And if there's danger in their way, then that danger has to be faced and overcome as a way to get them because there's no other way to go. This is, than, kind, of, this is kind of their hell Caraxa, huh? In a sense, yeah. Um, Hakan says, why don't they go back and leave Beleriand? No idea, Hakan. Um, really good <laughs> question. I don't know. Why do we think Haleth would have to have a reason? Why not just pack it in and say, let's go back across the mountains? Right. Just stubbornness again? Pure cussed-mindedness? Yeah. yeah. Like, no, like, we're, you know, I set out to go this, this way. Stubbornness and comes up. Yeah. This way I shall I, go. I, I said we're going to do this and we're going to do it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I feel like because for her it would like, be a failure. Once we've established the pattern of her doing this, no explanation will be necessary. Right. Right. Like Aleth is a. I think. I think this is a character who, who, given a choice, <laughs> like we, we, like obviously is much going to prefer going in the spider forest and and having to fight a bunch of spiders to claim some land than taking something given to her by Carnthier. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, especially given to her with obvious, obvious to her strings attached. Um, yeah. And it is also true. She's she will not remember the journey. Um, we're going to introduce her as a as as a teenager on Haldad's farm in the right. alien. Right. So it's not like she remembers what was beyond. Um, and so, you know, to her moving, like going back over the mountains is just going back uh, you know, as you say, into something uh, she doesn't know and into unknown dangers, you know. So mm -hmm. why go a long tramp only to find yourself in the same position that you're in now or worse, right? Mm -hmm. um, and she, you know, she can even say something like, you know, like there are there are no safe paths, right? Like, uh, you know, we're facing danger. We're surrounded by dangers. Um, and this is the choice where like what they've been doing essentially to this point is running away almost, Right. The orcs invade here, so let's leave, 
right? We've got an unfriendly, Mm -hmm. well, a dubious elvish neighbor. Let's leave. Oh, the elves won't let us come in. Let's leave, right? And this is the point where she puts her foot down and says, no, you know what? We're not going to keep, we're not going to keep leaving, right? We are going to push forward. Um, We are going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to stop taking no from an answer for an answer. And we're going to push through the, not because we want to live in Nandungortheb, right? We don't, you know, um, she's not saying they would like to build a summer home there, but she is saying uh, that we can, we can get through this to the other side. Um, yes. Brian says we will not be given a home. We will, we will make one. We will have, we have to make one for ourselves. Um, right. Yes. Anyway, yes. You know, another thing that another thing this discussion makes me think of is uh, uh, there's a little bit of like there's a little bit of that Boromir attitude in her. You know, what fair rug would you prefer? A plain road, though it led through a hedge of swords, right? Right. That's like that's 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 definitely a holla uh, to a T. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's, this is this is at least a plain road, right? Um, yeah. And. Uh, that she would have to have some reason to believe there's something on the other side of it. Um, uh, maybe the she would have to talk to somebody. Do we ever talk to Do we ever talk to Beleg or somebody? Or does somebody oh, mean more? I, I absolutely yeah. Beleg. I'll let Beleg see for sure. Yeah. Because uh, Beleg is gonna is gonna I think you know he's I think he's gonna kind of warm up to Beleg of, or to Haleth eventually, right? So oh, yeah. there can be a kind of tense discussion between Beleg probably and Haleth, um, and because uh, uh, I mean we we should I think probably have a named elf turn her away from Doriath, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I think and, I feel I feel like we should we should seize every opportunity to uh, like. To, to to have like Belleg should almost be kind of like a an avatar for the audience and that he should get to interact with a lot of our like important named human characters. Yes. Yeah. 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 Belleg would be valuable in that role. Um, plus, we have to make sure everybody remembers who he is. Um, <laughs> because <laughs> he's going to be important. OK, so we have Belleg come and, and so he can tell her like, yeah, so there is like on the other side of this forest. um there's uh there's some open land over there like you you could you guys could totally could totally go live in this land you know over that's to the west of our forest um and so she's like fine that's what we'll do uh and she's like okay i'm going to go march north and belg is like oh i'm not sure i'd march north if i were you <laughs> right and she'd be all like don't you tell me <laughs> right i'm going to care um so she anyway so uh they go up. Now, Hakon is wondering if Beleg will turn up and assist them uh, during the journey through Nandungortheb. I don't know that he would assist them necessarily, but I think he'd hear about it. Um, I could imagine, for instance, some unnamed um, uh, March Wardens up there witnessing some of the spider fighting going on in Nandungortheb um, and reporting it back. And Beleg being like, are you serious right now? <laughs> like they're actually making it through Nand on Gortheb. Um, and then, but, he, yeah, I, I, I got a, I, I don't want to spoil it, but I have, I have an excellent idea about where to take this, uh, Haleth Beleg, uh, okay. uh, story arc. But I'll, I'll, we're not there yet, but I'll, I'll reveal it here toward the end. You can probably guess. 
I, I think so. <laughs> I think so. Well, okay, so anyway, so she makes it through, impressing at least Beleg, right, um, and possibly others of the elves of Doriath, though not Thingol, right, with her trip through Nandungorthab. And so she gets, the, she, she now, so they, they, they come out now, right, and they're coming down, they turn south around the other side of Doriath, and she's like, okay, here we are on the western side. And she goes over uh, to uh, uh, you know, the forest of Brethil. And she's like, okay, this is it. This is it, right? Now, Thingol is going to send Beleg to her again and be like, um, this is awkward, right? Technically, this is outside the girdle, and so, like, this might look like it's not part of our kingdom, but actually it kind of is still part of our kingdom, right? And here, Haleth is going to draw the line, right? Um, Haleth is going is gonna, to is gonna say... Yeah, no, like I don't, I don't care. I don't care. Um, we're living here. <laughs> yeah, right. we are in this. Yeah. No one gave this to us. Right, right. Um, uh, you know this. This is not like because because she will she will say like you know you can say your boundary comes to here, but you've established your boundary with your magic girdle thing, right? That's your boundary. That's clearly where, and fine, we won't try to come into your magic forest, right? This is not part of your magic forest. We're going to live here. Here is where we're going to have her meet Tavildo, though. And is that the direction you were thinking, Dave? Yep. I, I, here's, my, here's my proposal. Here's my proposal. Okay. Part of the, so we're going to have Finrod negotiate a deal. How about, how about, Thingol, uh, once again, uh, send, sending um, uh, a, a person he doesn't particularly care for on what he believes to be a hopeless mission. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> oh. oh, that's kind of cool. Sure. That's kind of cool. Sure. You can have this land. Uh, go kill Tavilda. Right. Right. And, yeah. uh, and Beleg, Beleg is the messenger sent to send this. And and he he decides to go with her and help. Here's what I'm thinking there. So she, Haleth is not going to, I don't think she's going to, um, okay, here, so I like that scenario, Dave, but I'm imagining, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to imagine the correct Haleth response to that mm-hmm. ultimatum by Thingol, right? I think that her, um, her response. So Tavildo should come. So here's even before Thingol would say anything about Tavildo. I think they should encounter Tavildo. I think that Tavildo should. So um, I think we, I don't know whether we want to actually have an Angband scene, you know, a Sauron scene in the middle here where Tavildo gets sent or something. Um, I can certainly imagine that. I mean, Sauron would have learned of the whole Nandun Gortheb thing. Right. And they're fighting their way through the spiders and he could send Tavildo um, and his cats into the forest of Brethil uh, in order to, you know, to to harry and ultimately, hopefully assassinate Haleth as Sauron possibly views her as potentially dangerous. Um, uh, so he could send Tavildo after them. So here they are set up in this forest and now there are these giant cats around, right? So I could imagine there would be some of the paladin who would be like, oh, 
I guess this place isn't safe either. Giant carnivorous cats chasing after us. Guess we're packing up and moving again, right? And Hollis would be like, oh, heck no, right? Not this time, people. Um, this time we're, we're, we're selling. So then Thingo comes and says, you know, slay this cat. And she, she can do, again, almost like she did to Karen there. She's like, look, um, as Nick says, Hollis doesn't do fetch quests, right? Uh, no, she doesn't. But what she would be like, she's like, so you're telling me if I defend my own territory from the enemy that is attacking my people, then you'll let me live here? <laughs> how useless is that? And how you, how pointless are you? Right? And it's almost like with Karinthir, you know, with the like, where are Haldad and Haldar um, uh, speech that she gives. But of course I'm going to defend my people. So she decides she's done running. Um, so she and her Amazonian warriors go hunting to Vildo in the woods when he is hunting her. Um, so he like lays an ambush for uh, for her, uh, and she slays him instead, um, and uh, uh, comes back and presents Beleg, uh, not presents him with the pelt of Tevildo in the sense of giving it to. She's not going to give it to him. Right, but she'll show it to him, kind of like Bayorn showed the warg pelt and orc and goblin head uh, to uh, uh, you know Thorin and company um, outside his house. Um, you know, you don't like my uh, you don't like my idea. Beleg goes along. Well, up, we could like, do that, despite himself. I, I, my, we would. I, I would. I would want to be careful though to make sure that we don't diminish Hallet's achievement. Is the main thing. Um, Margaret says she, she should show up wearing Tevildo's hide. <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah, I, <laughs> or, I see her. I see her point. That's a good point. We just want to like want to make sure she doesn't need Belleg's help. You know. Well, I'm kind of wondering if there's an opportunity for like, but I also like the idea. I like the idea of there being like part of her arc because what we've been talking about is that she's she's not. A, not, not exactly, you know, like she's not going to be Eowyn who's going to be running around charming the hearts of, of right. all, you know, when right. it's stealing the hearts of all the, the, the elves at court and stuff. <laughs> right. And, but I like, I kind of like the idea of like Beleg being, being sort of, sort of a stand in for the, for the audience that like by the end of her, this, this particular part of her story arc, at least by the end of this, Beleg, despite himself, is just like just loves like you know not love not romantic loves but loves this this woman. Uh, he just like despite himself is just like man, you just can't help but like like the, yeah. she just doesn't stop. Yeah, no, so I, I think I, I kind of like the yeah her winning like Beleg's admiration definitely should happen. So I like the idea, but and and I'm thinking like what like okay, sure, maybe she shows up wearing the pelt and he's like, wow, good job, great. That's one way to do it, but I don't think that's especially effective. But what might be effective would be. Maybe there can be one moment during her her kind of the battle with the cats people, the cat people, or the quest to kill Tavildo or whatever. Maybe there's you know there's going to be the one moment where she gets in a little over her head is in and is in trouble, and then out of nowhere an arrow hits the cat that's sneaking up on her about to kill her, and it's like Belleg just showed up and was like I, I had to come, like I, I like I just couldn't you know like despite myself I had to come and, and see you in action and help you. And then she goes on and like challenges Tavildo and kills him by herself. But like just having one moment in the in the actual action where Beleg actually intervenes on her behalf and helps her mm -hmm. uh, would really make it very like that more effectively than anything else would demonstrate like that this is a guy who who went from being kind of like 
dismissive and maybe right. hostile at the beginning to being right. like personally invested in her success. And especially if I would agree with that, if we could have him choose to let her fight Tavildo on her own, like he respects yes. her independence and that she doesn't want his help. Right. Right. Um, yeah, actually, maybe, so maybe he like maybe he helps her out uh, earlier in the battle or somewhere and she gets pissed off. <laughs> I can imagine her getting pissed off at that. So, yeah. so then in the in the battle with Tavildo, she's like, she's like, stay out of this. Right. 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 Um, I'm yeah, kinda, I'm kind of a I'm kind of seeing like, obviously, they won't have as much time on the screen as um, Gimli and Legolas. But I kind I sort of see a potentially a similar dynamic of like a like kind of a back and forth a little bit where yeah where certainly he will be and in this way Beleg Beleg's role in her story becomes a kind of a counterpart to Carinthier right where yeah. but for both of them she earns their respect and admiration <laughs> but there will be a very significant difference in their attitudes towards her right whereas um Carinthier comes to respect that she is able to handle herself and thinks maybe they're not completely useless, but he doesn't like understand her and like respect her convictions, right? Like doesn't care what she wants out of life. They're like offering essentially to take them on as, as vassals, which is essentially what Carinthia is doing shows a total ignorance of what she, what they actually want, right. And what, what they're, what they're actually like. Um, whereas Beleg would get it, and then we, and then Beleg, of course, would be intervening with Thingol to say, you know what, like, this is, uh, this is fine, and I think that's why, uh, we don't even necessarily need to have Thingol make a demand of her. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, Be Beleg could just come back and be like. Hey, she just killed Tavildo over there. Like, I think, you know, I think our Western flank is fine with Haleth and her people living over there. This is definitely a net gain for the kingdom of Doriath, right? But also just yeah. that he would he would have great admiration uh, for her. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. And I, agree. Uh, I also, I, I kind of like the, I like the idea of uh, setting up uh, an ongoing thing with Thingol and Beleg, where Thingol is like, what is it with you and these, these humans? <laughs> right, with you and these humans. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, now, Stephen, I'm not, I don't necessarily think that he need, Beleg, need to steal Finrod's job, necessarily, but, um, and again, Finrod is, is like my Elvish protagonist for this season, right? So I definitely don't want to minimize uh, Finrod's role. But I think that, Beleg's role can be complementary, right? Finrod wouldn't have seen it, right? It wouldn't have been happening. Uh, he wouldn't have been on the spot necessarily in the same way. Um, we could also make Beleg and Finrod working together there, but um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it would be a very different relationship, Nick. I mean, uh, Finrod's intervening with Thingol would also be on a kind of a different level in a sense, as far as Thingol is concerned. Uh, Finrod's would be a, a different relationship with Thingol uh, than Beleg's would be. Um, um, the sort of getting the testimony from a, a pure monarch, right, versus, uh, you know, the sort of more personal testimony of his trusted 
you know, retainer who's seen it in, in person, right? And because Beleg would know her personally better. Um, Finrod would be primarily, and we'll get to this when we work on Finrod's character arc a little bit more, um, but Finrod's intervention with Thingol will be part of his overall kind of relationship to humans in general, but to this question of change, right? Whereas with Beleg, it would be a personal testimonial, right? And, um, you know, P.S., she is awesome, right? And her people are really cool. And you, actually, you kind of want her as a neighbor. Um, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, Nick says Finrod is asking for a favor. Beleg is making a recommendation. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I think so now. How do we have this? We need to. The last question. We're getting. We're super late, so we need to stop here soon. But um, my last question here about Halath, and we'll we'll start with uh, Amlach next time. Um, my last question with Halath, with Halath is, how do we? Sh- what is the long term payoff? I mean, apart from just the awesomeness of her character uh, and the coolness of this story, what's the sort of larger role? in the course of the season as a whole of Haleth's story. Because the story that we were just describing, a fair bit of screen time involved there, right? Um, so mm-hmm. we would need to, I don't, I don't, this is not the way I prefer to think about it, but we need to justify that, right? It needs to not just be a slightly cool aside, which is an interruption from the larger themes and story developments of, uh, um, of the, you know, of the rest of the season as a whole. Um, we can play the Haladin perspective off of some of the Elvish perspectives in the debates about what to do vis-a-vis Morgoth. We can certainly play her off of... Okay. Here's one interesting thing. When we think about the Haleth story in relationship to the theme of change, right? In a sense, she doesn't join herself to Finrod. But in a sense, she is purely from a human perspective. She is the one who is most like Finrod in the sense she doesn't want to move forward. She doesn't want to change, right? She wants her thing, and she wants to, you know, so she had, her father, Haldad, was setting up their little, you know, their little settlement, right? Their little independent, don't bother us, we will be self-sufficient settlement, right? And what is she trying to do? She spends the rest of her life essentially filling, trying to fulfill that vision, right? And she's got to go a lot of places and do a lot of things in order to make it happen. But at the end of the day, she's kind of running really fast in order to stand still right at the end to say, now we've gotten to the forest of breath Hill and now we can establish that independent settlement, which no one else will bother and which won't bother anybody else and will be self-sufficient that, you know, I've always held as the ideal and we're going to sit here and we're not going to be bothered and we're not going to let anyone bother us. So she's kind of the most resistant to change of any of the human cultures that we're talking about among the three houses. 
And yeah, Marie says that Howith proves that men are not elves' servants sent to help in their war. Yeah. I would think that chronologically, I mean chronologically within the, sh- the scope of our season, the very first thing we would want to do is establish Beor, right? So the first thing that happens, episode one is Thingol and Beor, right? Not Thingol. Finrod, sorry. Just thinking about Thingol too much. Finrod and Beor is in episode one, right? So Beor being brought in and his house being made into, you know, the blessed vassals of Finrod is the very first thing that we see happening with the men, right? Haloth would then be the counterpoint to that, um, which does show, um, Marie, as you say, this is not just what men are for, right? Um, it gives us another voice. We have Beor's voice saying, yes, my lord, I am happy to serve, right? And then we get Haloth's voice saying, not so much, right? We are our own people and we're going to live on our own terms. And that would then set us up for doing the House of Hador, which starts more like Haloth's people and shifts in different grounds over so that we, we establish, uh, you know, we make it almost like a, you know, Goldilocks situation, right? Um, so, yeah, if Haleth, if the story of Haleth, if the main thrust of the story of Haleth is second chronologically, essentially, within the season, after the establishment of the, the Beor establishes the kind of blessed vassal baseline, right, for human uh, things. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but of course, it is going to extend over several episodes, the Haleth story, I would think. Um, so we will be able to use it to. Yeah, Nick, I was also certainly thinking that Finrod's relationship, like his interaction with Haleth's story there near the end uh, and his discussion with Thingol and stuff would be at an important place in his own development here. So it would be certainly at a more advanced part of Th- of Finrod's own uh, character development there. There. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Good. Um, am I okay with Haleth being dead by the midpoint of the season? Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Um, she's a totally a first half of the season, uh, person. And I don't even know that we need any of the Haladin. I mean, apart from like, you know, who are and who mom who needs to be around. Um, they, uh, yeah. This is kind of their high point. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, Haleth is the high point. It's all downhill for the Haladin after Haleth. No question. No question. I've, I've yeah. forgotten about that. I, I like I, I like skimmed the summary on Tolkien Gateway. I'm like, oh, it's not a lot of not a lot of great stuff happens. With nope. <laughs> nope. I mean, the only time they're going to get significant screen time again is going to be when uh, Turin lives there. Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. As Marie points out, we end up with Brondir the Lame. That's exactly it. Um, yeah. So, okay, good. So I, I, that's, yeah, that can totally be completely resolved, uh, in the first half so that the house of Hador primarily comes into focus during this second half. Like that, that, that can be the, the drama of like the change of heart of the, the, the house of Hador, uh, can be 
the central sort of human drama of the second half, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Well, I should. So we were going to talk about Amlock, but we don't have time to talk about Amlock. We'll, t- we'll do Amlock next time. Um, uh, so we'll think about Amlock, and we'll move and we'll move into the House of Hador. We need to do some sorting uh, with the genealogies there a little bit as well, I think. Um, and there's some more Beor stories that we didn't really get to either. So we need to talk about maybe actually after. Uh, with Amlach, we should be uh, figuring out the Beor story as well, and then shift to sort of the the kind of later movement in the House of Hador uh, to get the the shake for that. So that's all next time, which is Thursday, June fourth uh, at ten p.m. Eastern time. June. June. How did we get to June? I just blinked. Yeah. And it's June. It'll be June. Oh my May gosh. May did go pretty quickly. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, actually, Marie, yeah, let's do Bayor, then Amlock, then Hador. That makes sense to me. That's a good um, idea. Yeah, since Bayor is going to be at the beginning, then that way we can be thinking of how the, the Bayor and Haleth stories can kind of dovetail. Uh, I think that's fair. Have a whole episode about Haleth and then have one episode about three guys. I, yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's the right kind of yeah. ratio. <laughs> that's that's Haleth would approve. Absolutely. Okay, very good. Thanks, everybody, for joining me, and I will say, as always, thanks for listening, and Godspeed.